Hello and welcome to this incredibly exciting episode of Inward Book Club. Today I am with my colleague and friend and business partner Mike Price and we are talking about New Sales Simplified by Mike Weinberg, aren't we? This book has been recommended to me by some superb people. Over and over and over again you've had this book recommended. Alice Allegrini, who, is, right. who I've worked with end of last year, start of this, Alice, if you're listening, I think she's one of the best sales leaders I can remember meeting Fair for a play, long time. quite an accolade. Superb. She raved about it. She gives it to a new starters. Gareth Ainsworth, who was sales director, what was title, man in charge of ANS, he raved about it. Absolutely thought it was superb. So I'm excited to see what you think of it. I mean, I've read it and we'll go through it. I too have read it. Um, it's a good sign that I've folded over a lot of pages. Uh, is that how you mark the book? Yeah, yeah, I've just written on it. Yeah, oh, I write on, on it as well. So it's New Sales Simplified by Mike Weinberg. Mike Weinberg. Who, who's, as I understand it, will also come on the show. He's got a top background as well. Looks like, seems like yeah, a top Yeah, maybe guy. what we can do is just bring him on, do a little interview with him at some point in the next few weeks. Well, the people I've told us and said, you know, Mike Weinberg said he'd come on the show. They were all like, oh my God, he's like sales royalty. Oh, really? Evidently, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see, won't we? And his forward is by Anthony Anarino. Fair enough. We like, uh, And we know, as a friend of the show... We love Anthony. Exactly. So, where should we begin, Mike? Well, the first thing I, I the first thing I underlined is in the forward. I never read the forward because I think it's dull. But I did did actually read this, and the first line is a beauty. It says, "Why do salespeople fail? Is it because they don't have some key piece of technology?" Mm. I mean, is what a great start! It's like the start of Hong Kong Fu. You won't remember Hong Kong Fu. Is it Sarge? No. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> but point being is. Is you know we we we're in this world and we read the other book by the guy that was talking about tech powered sales. Who wrote that? An excellent oh. author. Um, his name will come back to me in a minute. Yeah, he wrote Combo just, Prospecting just, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was a top top guy. And in tech powered sales, he was advocating the use of all the different pieces of technology. And I really swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. But then we're going to go through this book in a bit more. But but I think there is a reliance on people to get all the best tech and then they complain and leave jobs when they don't have the right tech to do the job? We're, we're hearing a lot of that from candidates. They, clump, they don't have the tech. They don't have any automation software. Yeah. They've got no marketing automation. They've got no sales automation. They don't have any intent data. It's become almost... It's become an easy excuse. The new excuse. Yeah. It's this year's excuse. Yeah. Can't, can you believe they don't have any intent data? Yeah, they don't. They don't have Pardo, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. They're not using Outreach or or Gong. So, so, so I thought that was a good start to the book. Yeah, is it because they don't have some key piece of technology? No. And his point is, sales fee, salespeople fail when they can't execute the fundamentals. But everybody fails in any walk of life. If you're a football team, what do the great football teams do? The basics. Hundred percent. They don't do anything clever. Well, oh, you play a lot of golf, right? What's the fundamental part of golf? Keep set up right. Set up right, keep the club face square. And look at the ball. You can do anything if you get the club face square at impact. Do, do whatever else yeah. you want. Well, you've seen me swing the golf club. My yeah. swing isn't particularly good, but the club face is square when it well, hits it. Uh, the, the, the fundamental of having the club face square at moment of impact is actually 80% of ball flight and ball trajectory. There you go. And so, so the next bit, the introduction uh, on page... XVVVV, whatever. <laughs> he goes, I, me that. He he goes I love sales. I love sales, me. But I think it's a good start, isn't it? Yeah. How, 
I want to read a sales book by a person who was a salesperson and who loves yeah. the game. And he loves the game. He lives, eats and breathes it. I mean, I, I was a bit like, he, he says here, nothing energizes me more than helping salespeople improve at acquiring new customers. I wrote, whatever gets you through the night, mate. But look, having a passion is a good thing. You know, you'd rather take uh, advice from somebody who's passionate about the subject yeah, area. Yeah, he's banging to it. And I think, well, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and then he says, I'm increasingly concerned by a disturbing trend. Seems fewer and fewer people who make a living in sales have a working knowledge of how to prospect for new business. And I thought, right, you got my attention here now. 100%. Because actually, I completely agree. This is a recurring theme in this book, well, though. What's really interesting, uh, I, I'm probably a little bit early here, is we're seeing a demand from clients now mm. for salespeople. IT market's crazy at the minute, I think. Demand's strong, but the demand is strong for a certain type of animal. And the supply of that certain type of animal is dwindling. 100%. And that animal is somebody who will find hunt, bring, and close new deals. So can we talk about age for a minute then? Because I have this recurring theme a lot with my clients. Yep. Where the younger salespeople entering the market don't seem quite as comfortable with doing the raw nope. basics of picking up the phone. Nope. And what we're seeing is actually the... We're, I'm seeing almost a resurgence. Well, you've got two problems because you have lost a lot of over 50s from the job market and that does include quite a few sales guys, guys who are good guys, yeah, exactly. who've made plenty of money, who've binned it. Yeah. Uh, and then what you've got is actually where is the experience pool in picking up the phone, dialing out fearlessly? Because what's interesting, we've got to stick to the book. We always do this with the books, don't we? But I put a post a while ago about picking up the phone. And there's loads of pompous people going, oh, I don't pick up the phone. I'm just like, well, look at your track record. That's why your track record's bad. Yeah, the one that's bothered me is somebody who's rung me this week who we placed recently. And we placed the person in a company where I know other people in the business. Right. And I know the top salesperson in the business. And yeah. I know what the top salesperson does. Yeah. I know that top salesperson has a spreadsheet of 90 accounts that are allocated to that person. And on that spreadsheet is a tick box. Have I spoken to that person or not in each of the accounts? So each account has a breakdown of all the people and a tick box next to it in Excel, because they're half decent with Excel. Yes or no? When was it last done? Right. Where am I at with that particular influencer in that account? Are they into me? Are they not? What products have I talked to them about? And you know what, right? I, I, mean, I don't know who the person is, because you're keeping it fairly anonymous, understandably. But I had a very similar experience with a guy I spoke to yesterday who sold to a big organisation. He goes to me, this was one of my accounts, I had to speak to them. And I, all right. and I go, all right. And he goes... So I'd obviously sent them LinkedIn mails and emails, but they didn't reply, obviously. I said, what did you do? He said, well, obviously I kept going until I spoke to them. I said, what did you do? He said, well, I phoned them relentlessly. I sent them videos. I sent them gifts. He said, but I wasn't going to move past that decision maker until I'd spoken to them. I've got a prospect, Pricey, who we did a lot of business with at the start of the pandemic, who promised me a load of business this year. And he right. hasn't taken my call now for about nine weeks. I call him twice a day, every day. He's going to crumble at some point. And now I know, it's now become, I think, a bit of a standoff of I'm not taking your call because you you call too much. I've called him from, I've got three different phone numbers from which I ring him. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But I'll tell you now, that that prospect, and it's a point of order. Point, he, absolutely. Point of principle. He told me we were going to do business. 
So he, uh, I he, want him, at least he's I want him to come on the go. phone and tell me to go fuck myself. Exactly, yeah. There you go. Tick. Next. Next, right? Thanks for taking off my listener. Anyway, getting back to this. Chapter one. The title is Sales Simplified, A Dose of Blunt Truth. In sales, our incredibly important, our, our incredibly important, incredibly straightforward job is to connect with these customers and prospective customers to determine if our solutions will meet their needs. That's what we were just talking about. Yeah. Our job is to connect with them. And it's to get a yes or a no. Yeah. Yes or no. No's fine. Yeah. No's fine. No's fine. I'll Uncle, move on. Next. I'll, I'll find someone else. Yeah. No. Right. Why? Oh, no. Do you know? I haven't got an answer to that. Right. Next. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's and then, okay. And then page five. I've literally been excited about um, talking about this well, bit he, as I drove here. He, he, he's made a couple of points about it. May I come go back a second? Yeah, of course. Um, what he's talking about earlier on is how he's saying that it's changed and how little time people are spending selling. I've got a theory on this. I think that our post-COVID video call world has completely changed people's mindsets towards doing new business and thinking. I've got a... I don't disagree and I'll with tell you. you and, and I'll come back to this a few times during the during this book. Is And he talks about call prep, getting on the phone, qualifying stuff. Back in the day, before the pandemic... If you did four client appointments a week that were face-to-face, -face, mm. God help you if you aren't qualified them because you'd have spent your week in your car. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I like that. God like help that. But uh, And you valued customer interaction more. The value you, of customer interaction was much higher. Yeah, yeah, because you didn't meet as many. You didn't meet as many because you were on the road, you were on a train, sat there. You know, it's June today. It's a sunny day. Sat on some shitey train with Near no the toilet. Plan, near a toilet that's overflowing, drinking a shit cup of coffee, thinking this meeting had better be good. Yeah, I agree. And you come out of that meeting and it hasn't been good. Well, one, you should have booked more meetings or you should have booked two or three more on the day. Now, it's easier to get meetings, I think. Yes, I agree. Miles easier. People will throw meetings away. They'll just do them. Oh, yeah, quick video call. Yeah, yeah, great. And I think that what's happening now is it's making a, a whole cohort of salespeople. It, it, I don't want to use the word weakening. It's made them different and it's created a gap in certain skills that clients now have an enormous demand for that clients are hysterically saying to us, where are they, Johnny? Do you know, I hadn't thought of that. You're absolutely right. I think that's a very, very good point. The one I was going to make, and it doesn't disagree with that in any way, is that I think realistically COVID was one of the very best things that ever happened to the IT industry. Oh. It was just like... As good as Y2K. Better. Yeah, in its own way, better than Y2K. It was unbelievable. And that, you know, we don't really want to say that because so many people, you know, you know, COVID was obviously a really bad thing, but actually it was brilliant for the IT industry. And guess what? On the back of COVID, the IT industry is finding it a little bit difficult to keep the same momentum and same amount of growth. So now the sales leaders are looking at salespeople going, well, we increased by 20% last year, we need to do 20% this mm -hmm. year. But to get that 20%, the actions you need to take are different. Yes. He says it here, actually. So this is on page five. He says most people have never had to truly hunt for new accounts or new business. Yeah. Why? Because big chunks of their sales careers to date have been during long seasons of economic prosperity. 
Yeah. Absolutely um, right. Know, the amount of times on this right podcast on. we've said and, the rising then, tide floats the boat. Yeah, and then he has this other s- subject heading just, just prior to that. Why all the craziness and fear about prospecting? Mm. It's just a really good question, that, isn't it? People are so scared of prospecting. But why? It's irrational when you think about it. I think it's because it. we've spoilt people a little bit. Possibly, I don't know, but it's just... I'm not, you know, it's funny, yesterday I had a rotten day, right? Spent the morning doing stuff, we were talking about it before the show started, working on an advert for a client that was a, a PPC ad linked to a landing page, and it was all very technical, All is the tracking code right, and it's kind of not my bag. And then in the afternoon, I treated myself to an afternoon of just banging my phone. So much easier, isn't it? Easiest thing to do. It's easy. Dead easy. And maybe I'm lucky, maybe I'm lucky that that's a kind of default setting. And actually, I didn't have a particularly fruitful afternoon banging the phone. I got a couple of callbacks out of it. But, it's, but it was still better than doing what it's I've been doing in the morning. It's such easy work, isn't it? Study at your desk, music on, having a cup of tea. I play, I got my putting simulator. What I do is, every time I get through to a decision maker, I roll a putt whilst I'm on the call. Fair play. But if I don't speak to a decision maker, I can't roll the putts. Fair play. Like it. Right, so where are we next? Um... Well, I'm only still only on page seven with a folded over page here. Go on, what have you got on page seven? Um, so confusion reigns, sales 2.0 and the projected death of prospecting. So he uses this phrase, sales 2.0, a lot. Well, what's sad is I think this book's a bit dated. So he's talking about sales 2.0. I think we're into about sales 3.5 post-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. talks a lot about visiting with customers and... I just think we're in a very different world now. I think we're in this video meeting world. A good example is I had a meeting with a supplier the other day, that, that, and he talks a lot about, we'll, we'll get to it later in the book, about call prep and stuff. Uh, I had a meeting with a supplier the other day. Um, we use them, they give us lists of um, VC-backed companies, that sort of thing. Oh, Lucia. Similar. One of them. And uh, th- he sent me an email, right? Automated mm. email telling me about this great new feature that would, and I looked in it, I thought, if that does what it says it does, that'll really speed up our workflow. So I'll meet the guy, and if I like it, I'll tell Mike about it in the management meeting on Friday. So he comes on the call, and he's wearing a trucker hat. You know, like a trucker hat? Yeah, yeah. Not even a snapback. Like a trucker hat, like he's in a country in Western, like he's about to, like he's Jason Aldean, like he's about to win his country music award. Uh, American guy. And he sort of sat there, and his camera is pointing upwards. I know you don't like that. It's just rude. It just so I can sort of see up his nose. I can see I haven't been to the Turkish barbers had his nose air waxed. And um he's sort of leaning in. And then he goes into this discovery thing, right? But it was lazy discovery. It was discovery, i.e., I've no idea who you are. I've no idea what your company does. I don't really care, but I'm gonna make you tell me. Are you going to buy the software? No. And I gave him a bit of a bollocking about it. Right. I objected pretty vociferously. And what was the most stunning was how he told me he didn't feel he should have to tolerate this kind of behaviour. Really? Yeah. And I thought... What a snowflake. But I thought, actually, world's changed, Johnny. You've got to change with it a bit. But... I can, and, and at the time I was, I'm halfway through this book and, I, and I'm thinking, I can see why the demand for real salespeople has shot through the roof and why our client base 
is as exasperated as it is. And that's what Mike's getting at here is he's given these the 16 reasons. Oh, this is a beauty. Why people it? aren't doing well in, in new business development. You know, late to the party, guilty or have a bad phone effort, a negative attitude and pessimistic outlook. Um, it, 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 they're not likeable, don't adapt their style, have low EQ. I wrote here, snowflakey, arrogant, crunch base. Oh, that was the name of the supplier, by the way. Um, <laughs> they can't conduct an effective sales call. Had no structure. They love to babysit their existing accounts. You know, here's a, a good, another example of, of uh, the, not being able to conduct an effective sales call. I had a, an incidence with Salesforce a while ago mm. where we were buying a solution that was quite big. We've, we've subsequently bought it. And the account manager came on the phone and she did a call with us that was an hour long. I was on that call, I think. Yeah. And we gave them a presentation, a detailed presentation as to what our requirement and our business problem was. And then she brought the partner on the phone a week later to discuss the project. And then she asked me to do it again. And I... Just lazy, isn't it? I, I can be a bit impatient at times and I can be a little bit brusque. And I lost my shit a bit. I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. We've done this last week. And she cried, apparently. Oh, really? I was, yeah. And the partner told us he didn't want to work with us. It's crazy, isn't it? But this is what this is about, is we've got a very different cohort out there. I mean, it's a whole um, uh, podcast in itself about the, the subject of mental health. And yes. to be clear, I've been a Samaritan. He's been a Samaritan. Yep. He does a text thing. So I, I'm not, it's not like we're talking from a position of no experience. But we're just at this borderline where you will have been bad for her mental health. Oh, yeah. She'll have played a mental health card. She'll have had two days off work. Yeah. And that then denigrates the importance of other people who've actually got proper mental health problems. Real mental health problems. Like well, real as ones. opposed to the fact that actually a client told her off for having not listened to her to the client yeah. you've not listened to me you used an hour of my billable time to do a discovery call and not made notes exactly one of the other reasons that I, I think uh, you know as, as we're talking about on topic here is they don't use and protect their calendar oh pricey how much for pedantic pain in the ass well I know I bet you know you were talking about your daughter earlier I bet Honey uses her calendar well she has no choice but to yeah so Honey is 14 15 this year and understandably she goes on the phone a lot and I said to her right, ages ago, I said, you going in your phone is making you boring. And she said, what do you mean? I said, we just going on it. So now, in fairness to her, as a 14-year-old girl, I'll say to her in the morning, when are you going on your phone today? And she'll say, I'm going on my phone between 12 and 2. Now, two hours is a long time spending your phone. Just instering and However, Snapchatting. And it's two hours. Well, it's... And then she puts it away. Seven or eight hours less than her peers. And the same is true, I think, you know, as a salesperson, if you don't block your time out, very easily it gets to lunchtime and you've achieved nothing. Well, everybody wants a piece of your time, don't they? He talks about it in the book. Uh, one of the things he mentions is people who are good corporate citizens. Yes. You know, they're always organising this and doing yeah, that. They don't actually sell anything, but they're, they're, they're adding value to the And they company. go to all these development meetings and they're ever so busy. They don't sell out. So I've got his candidate at the moment I'm working with. I like. I think he's ace. And uh, <laughs> he's very rude in his own way. 
and we were talking the other day about he works at this company and he said they have all these meetings about product development stuff and I just refuse to go. And I'm getting a lot of pressure because I don't go. And apparently I'm deemed really rude. But I just explained to him that I can't be on my phone if I'm in that meeting. He's right. But, but uh, in that meeting, he's not making his boat go any faster, is it? Or, or theirs. And he, just, and he and I said, well, what do you do when they make you come to these meetings? He's like, I just don't go. Don't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like I said, what's him. that like for you? He said, it's causing a lot of problems now. So, so that's uh, why it's mad. What's mad? What's insane? He'll get fired. Is he wants... He well, he's looking now, for a job. He's looking for a job. Because they won't let him get on his phone. Because they won't let him do the one thing that that every sales leader in England would kill to have. But in that culture, it's it's a team culture. It's a collaborative culture. Come to the uh, weekly bug reporting meeting. And he's like, I'm sat in bug reporting meetings. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so then we're getting into chapter three, which is the company's responsibility for sales success. Now, actually, I have a lot of time for this. Mm. I think we've got, look, it's very easy, isn't it? What And let's just give a quick heads up on the chapter. So what he's saying is, sometimes he's saying it's not always the salesman's fault as to why the salespeople aren't performing. He's saying, one, are you coaching your salespeople? Two, actually... Part of this is about the CEO and the setup of the business. It's the business setup to be a successful sales machine. Well, interestingly, so here, he, he, chapter, uh, page 32, he's put, uh, some organisations are sales-driven and some are not. Yeah. So one of my favourite companies is ANS. Yeah. I love ANS. Doing a lot of work from right now. Exactly. They're a really good company. And now, currently, you know, in charge of sales is Adam. Prior to that was Paul Shannon and Gaz. And Shannon was... The chief exec, and actually, you wouldn't, I'm sure you wouldn't mind me saying this if you listened, really not first and foremost a salesperson is techie. Is he? 100%. Didn't know that. But you didn't know that. No. Because what is ANS set up as? It's sales set up as a first. sales organization. Sales first. Not at the cost of the client or anything like that. And if you ever spoke to Shan, sometimes I go there and he'd be sat with the salespeople in the hot desking bit. It's commerce He's first. valued sales. And I think we have a lot of companies, I know the one you're talking about, where they're not a sales company. No. They're a, Get pro- that a, lot. They're a product company who I happens to sell things. I see that a lot in digital healthcare. Do you? Yeah. I would say 90% of the clients I work with in the digital healthcare space what, tech first, sales second? Are, are digital healthcare technology and delivery first, sales second. And which would you say are the most successful companies? The 10% that are sales focused. I mean, I knew you were going to say that, but it's inevitable, but they are, isn't it? But they are. And that's the, the whole, ones that are sales operations. It's a whole, a whole other podcast. And they're so it? wrapped up in talking about. Uh, uh, there was a really great post on LinkedIn by a guy who's a, involved in the investment community in digital healthcare saying, you know, is AI really going to fix it? Is, digit, is, is a, lot, a, a lot of the digital healthcare technology going to fix it? And my point was, I said, they all think that they're going to change the world, these companies. They all think, they, they're all a bit up their own arses about how much impact they're making. You know, they, they literally, a lot of them think they're personally, physically saving lives. Um, they do, literally, when you talk to them, it's nuts. But then that same passion and fervour for the kit and the tech is actually what holds the company back from its growth. 
because they're so into that. Yeah, we're saving lives. We're, we're, we're changing the human genome. We're going to make the whole world a healthier, happier place instead of actually we've got this product and we're going to flog bloody loads of it. Is it like for whatever reason in too many companies, salespeople are treated like the enemy and the problem? Yes. That's what he says. I underlined it. Yeah. And, and it's all about the healthcare and, the, and this and that. And you see it in other companies. I'm doing a project at the moment, Mike, where I've been canvassing the uh, Financial Times top 1,000 fastest growing companies in Europe. Okay. And we had one of our colleagues pick through it, find all the tech companies, find all the leaders. And you see a very similar fervour in those businesses where there's this sort of, yeah, we're changing the world one artificial intelligence at a time. Instead of, and you can tell that it's an engineering-driven business. Yes. Set up by somebody who studied maths a at guy with a, a guy with a PhD. And at some point, the VCs will show up, throw 30 million at it and say, right, you, go sit over there and write code. I'm bringing this guy in. The CRO who trained at PTC <laughs> in 1998. Don't, don't talk to him. You won't like him. Um, yeah, who, who grew Parametric Technology Corporation in 1998 or whatever, or at Computer Associates. He's 54 years old, smokes fags and is horrible. Um, but do you know what? It might just uh, help gonna you realise your exit. Hire and structure, yeah, hire and structure a sales team of 15 truly horrible people that you will never, ever want to spend time with, but will sell shitloads of your clever software. And, and you, But you can see where they're just before that point. And it's they're interesting, like, isn't it? Yeah. I like it. He says here, a heavy service burden and the hybrid hunter-farmer sales role. Yeah, you get that a lot. How, how often do you get candidates on the phone saying, I'm just firefighting all day? Yeah. And, or they'll sell a project and then they're part of project delivery. Yeah. I'm firefighting all day and actually all I want to do is get on my phone and I can't. Yeah. I can't. I'm sucked into client meetings all day. Exactly. And, and he makes some great points here about let the new business guys do the new business. So we got here, illogical and unhelpful compensation plans. And, oh. he, and he says, from the CFO's perspective, I get it. A dollar of sales produces a certain percentage of gross profit. And there is money allocated to pay the salesperson for their selling expense. And what he's talking about here is that how there's the same value sometimes attributed to a new business win as an account management win. And I mean, it makes a good point. Personally, I think new business sellers ought to earn more than account managers. Of course they should. But how, yeah, but how many times do you send an email and the candidate will come back going, yeah, I don't want to do new business. I'm only interested in, in being an account director. And I want 95k base, OTE 200. I think new business salespeople are more valuable than anybody else in an organisation, full stop. New business salespeople more valuable than anybody else in the organisation? I, I believe so. No new business, no This is no going to be part of a LinkedIn post as a little micro-content, isn't it, Johnny? Yeah, we'll probably make some micro-content out of this. No, no new business equals no business. Full stop. And even if you've got a nice portfolio of existing accounts, yeah, no well, new business equals no business, because those accounts will go. Well, no growth, is there? No. You've got no... Bi and there's something wrong with a business that doesn't have a, a, a throughput. I agree. Now, chapter four disappointed me a little bit because I like um, a framework that I can follow. And he goes, a simple framework for developing new business. I wanted a bit more of a framework, really. Yeah. If I'm honest. I mean, I quite like it. Select your targets, create and deploy weapons, plan and excuse the attack. I love this. He puts a little. He gives a great little little story here. 
where he talks about how he got out of direct marketing and he started in the IT industry. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, I jumped on board with a web-based learning management company that gave me a generous guarantee and a spreadsheet worth of phantom stock options. I was convinced that was it. A few years down the road, I'd be famous for delivering more new business than anyone ever dreamed. The company would get acquired, we'd all be bazillionaires, and I would ride off into the sunset in my charcoal grey over burgundy leather Porsche 911. <laughs> it didn't play out quite as planned. The bubble burst, venture capital dried up, and internet startups with negative cash flow fell out of vogue. But it was still a high-paying job in an entrepreneurial company with great people. We supposedly had a powerful solution and I had a framework for finding and closing business. What could be bad? A lot. And it made me, it just made me laugh because I was like, yeah, I've heard that story before. Yeah, no, I, I, read the, I, read the, I read the same bit. So he's talking here, selecting target accounts is a rare opportunity to be strategic. Now I'm going to tell you a theory on this. Let's hear it. So you and I have got a very fortunate situation, which is we're the only two salespeople in our business. So we can, I don't have to argue with you about, well, that's my account. No, we never get into that. I mean, there's the odd one where we swap swap and where I, like, there was one the other week where I was a bit like, hmm, okay, sure, that should have been mine, but whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, literally there's 20,000 of them out there. So we're in a very different position to a lot of salespeople where they get given 80 accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are told, they're your 80 accounts. Good luck with that. And I kind of get that. But I kind of think the world's moved on a little bit in that I think the velocity with which people are selling now. now. I was thinking about this the other day. I think the velocity of our jobs has increased. At Pandemic a level, increased it. At a level yeah. I never, ever thought it would be. Mm. So now we can do six client meetings a day. We can reach 15,000 prospects. But, well, us as a company, we're much more international. Just the pandemic made us international. It's made us international. Our, it's made our reach just wide, but in no way lesser. Mm. And I think this whole concept of, right, Mike, all you're going to do is healthcare companies in WF, BD, and YO postcodes. Yes. Which is what he's kind of advocating here. Mm. I I can't see that being conventionally wise wisdom now in a world where other companies are saying, well, you're, you're going to go after digital health companies in WFYO and BD. No problem. I'm going to go after those 50,000 companies and out of those 50,000, I'm going to market the living shit out of them and I'll probably generate 200 clicks and I'll give those to the salespeople to chase up. I mean, I do agree with you. I guess a lot of it is dependent on your solution. So if you sell, you know, software to dentists, as an yeah. example, it's a finite market in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very finite market. But or, I think, or like I think if you sell to higher markets, education, there's 160 correct. HE awarding bodies. In there's it. only so many. Yeah, or if you sell to digi if you sell to healthcare, there's only so many uh, NHS trusts. I guess uh, there are, uh, ICBs and ICSs. Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm about ten years out of date there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting. I put finite list debate. I mean, the other thing that's interesting is is let's say you've got let, let's say I had a hundred prospects. I've got one or two options. If you only had a hundred companies in the database, I can labour on those hundred prospects, and at some point I'd get into them because just force of weight you'd get into them, wouldn't you? Or alternatively, and I'm I think this is what sales two point zero is or sales three point five is. 
is I'm not going to get 100 prospects. I'm going to get 100,000 prospects. And rather than just call them 100 prospects, I'm going to market the hell out of 100,000 prospects. Yeah. I wonder what the better return is. And we have this debate about the guy who's based, you know, who's got 17 Lamborghinis, who's a recruiter. He sends out poo cannons with 8,000 emails. And he's got Lamborghinis. He's got 17. Yeah, he got and, invi- I, 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 and he goes to the same physiotherapist as me. My physiotherapist told me that he was invited to a Bentley launch event because he buys so many Bentleys. Yeah, and do you know what he does? He sends out email shots with eight thousand in it. Yeah. So this book, Mike Weinberg, he would just laugh at Mike and go, and it's not even yeah, like whatever. it's not even like his eight thousand contact email shots are that well segmented, is it? No, they're not. We know. He it's it's absolute brutal scattergun aggression. Yeah. And he's got 17 Lamborghinis. He's got a collection. Uh so and he's got a McLaren. That McLaren helped him build the garage at his house. So <laughs> So you know, Mike, this book and everything, it's great and everything. This other fellow would disagree. He wouldn't agree with the finite list. He'd go, finite list, how do I make it bigger? Yeah. That's and all, yeah. And we know all he cares about is data quality and data volumes. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but you sort of look at the end outcome as a salesperson. It's about earning money. His book would be two pages long. Get a massive email list and send him loads of emails. Yes, he also I don't think sweats the individual skill sets of the individuals that highly either. No, no, I don't. So I know somebody who's worked there, and he said they're just average people. Average to slightly above average, but mainly average. So they're just average people. There's no superstars. Nope. But I've met a few of them. They're not. They're, they're just, and there'll be guys there earning 150, 200,000 pounds a year. There's guys, you know, I know it's a very shallow way of measuring the success of a company, but there's some pretty nice cars in that car park. Yeah. So So the finite list thing? Don't know. Uh, so, it, and this is his point. I think back, and this is, this is the, the point, is back pre-pandemic, You've got 100 accounts, find some business in them. I think, I just don't see how, unless you're in a vertical market where the market is finite, I don't see how that works now. So here we are. So it goes about targeting contacts in higher... Um, what, in chapter five? I can't remember. I'm on page 63, so we oh, must you've be... you've skipped in. on. Yeah, chapter five, selecting targets. Oh, no, it's, it's part of the same chapter as the, the finite list thing. Okay. Uh, so, so as you know, touch wood. This is real wood. Um, we got a guy starting a job on Monday on a massive basic. Yep. I got that by going right to the very, very top of the organisation. The CEO? Nobody else in that company knew anything about that piece of recruitment other than me, him and the CFO. Yep. And there's a person there who does offer letters for me. She called me and went, oh, I didn't know we were recruited for this. <laughs> But that's where it works. That's where you go. Can remember as you told me about that company the other can. day where you said, so-and-so's left, there's got to be an opportunity for an MD in the UK. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've hunted and hunted and hunted around and I found a geezer in America who is the CEO over three different companies in that group. Right. I've found him. Yeah. And he rang me the other day, he returned my call. I thought, right, American number, why is he returning my call? And he goes, I listen to your voicemail. And I go, he goes, how do you know it's me? And I got worked it out. I just worked it out. And he laughed. And he went, great. You're the only recruiter that's called. 
exactly. went, great, what are we doing? And he said, right, uh, drop me a note. I need your terms. Can we talk later on next week? Kudos. And I said, have you say. filled it? He said, I've got two applicants. I don't think they're that great. If they're nowhere, you'll, you'll get the job next week. But he's the CEO and he sits as a CEO of three different companies. And do, and do you know why I think people like that respect it? Because he's sat there going, bloody wish my salespeople did. Yeah. He was laughing. He was like, how have you worked out? It's me. I said, I, guess, I, said, I said, process of elimination. It took me a while. He said, where have you got my number from? I go, I've got it off Lucia. Right, brilliant. And he loved it. He was having it. He was full on having it. He had no problem with it at all. Not at all. But the nicest, mo and this is a point he makes here in the book, the nicest, most receptive decision-maker call I've made this week. Yep. Most and friendly, most positive, and most you know, a lot appreciative of, people look of my at it, time I, I, and his. I, I can't remember whether he mentions it really, but I think a lot of people get nervous about calling like the, the biggest people in the organisation. Easier. It's easier. They're always the nicest. Easier, always the least rude. Yeah. And he said that point. He said people get all... I've got to call the CEO. Easier to call the CEO than it is to call some low-level decision maker that's going to put the phone down on you, whine, yeah, take exactly. me off your database. All that. Have that little moment of pocket Hitler power. <laughs> <laughs> Marshalling the weapons in your armory, 68-69. Right, what's he got here? Our, our sales the weapons. The proactive telephone call. Much to the dismay of many sales point two zero pontificators and scared sales reps, I remain a huge fan of our old friend, the telephone. Bar none. The phone is the most is still the most deadly and accurate weapon to score a face-to-face -face meeting with a target prospect. By a country mile. Yeah. By a country mile. He was always going to say that. Yeah. I thought his point about voicemail was very interesting. He said, voicemail's reality. Do you leave messages? No, very rare. I, it, that instance with that CEO was a rare instance for me. I very rarely leave voicemails. Hardly ever. Very rare. I, 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 I find... I dial out, I put my little stroke on my five-bar gate for the call. If it goes to voicemail, I put the phone down and I carry the call over. Yeah, me too. I very rarely leave a message. My issue with voicemails is you've you've shown him your hand. Yeah, yeah, I think qualify by listening to you. Correct. You've, you, unless you've got something useful or interesting that's... I guess I don't... Why would I want a recording saying my, saying my piece when that recording can't overcome an objection for me. 100% on the same page. Let's ignore Chapter 7, um, unless you want to talk about Chapter 7 for any reason. Your most important sales weapon, what is it? Uh, I wrote in Chapter 7. Oh, your sales story. I actually quite liked a bit of this. Yeah, but I, I thought Chapter 8 was a better... Anyway, go uh, on. So, so talk to me about sales story then. So what he says is everybody should have a little bit of a an understanding of what's your pitch, what's yes. your sales story, what's your why. I mean, I do agree with you. On chapter eight, I actually thought I'm going to do this. Well, I've I've actually done it. Right, fair enough. This week, I actually made a note in my task manager, and I, I, I'm and he calls it his power statement. Yes. And he said, what his point is is your power statement's not your scripts. You shouldn't rattle all of it off all of the time. But your power statement should form part of you and your selling operation. Yes. If a customer said to you, okay, why you? You should have a very sharp... What's your answer? I, I say, we're the people you come to when you're frustrated with the quality of salespeople that you're hiring and when more specifically you realise that you need to engage with somebody who really understands your business and you want to work with some grown-ups. I like that. That's good. That's good. 
But I wrote that down this week after I'd read this. I put a note to do it. I mean, I'm mm, just really arrogant, actually, to be perfectly honest, which is unlike me, as you know. But a lot of why, and this is interesting, is I, I think you and I are in a really interesting place with cold calling, which is we're directors of the company and we sound like directors of the company and we have that much cert. There's a subconscious thing that nobody talks about in sales, which is a subconscious certainty. A subconscious certainty of belonging. Of belonging and projection. Yeah, why wouldn't you talk to me? Correct. You seem to, you, you appear to be rude to me. Correct. What are you doing? So well, you and I are of an age and a point in life where we sound like we belong in the phone call. Yes, probably. He um, talks about it later in the book about sound, how you sound. Yeah, he didn't mean it in that way though. So we don't sound like we're making telesales calls. We're not kids on phones. No. And therefore we, we can hold attention a little bit more easily because we just can how do the candidates do though? So if you're, if the you other are, thing is, Mike, and it sounds silly, but I, I've noticed our social media activity over the years, even though we're not doing as much as we were, has cumulatively created a brand awareness. I didn't realise it had. How do you reckon? Definitely, yeah. So I've, I would say, out of fifty decision makers, I'd say ten know who I am. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say 20% of decision makers who I've never spoken to in my life ago, I know you. You're the obnoxious guy on LinkedIn. <laughs> Fair enough. And, I, and then I laugh and I get, I'm not as obnoxious as I come across, you know. And they, And I, I find that, but that's not a, oh, well, we did three posts last week and now everybody knows me. You and I have been at that a long, long, long time. Mm. And the sweat equity. A lot more than 10 years, 12 years, something like that. Since the beginning of, so that sweat equity of actually people kind of know and that's weird I like that uh, yeah I, I get that so th th there is that in making a cold call isn't there there's that I mean going back to the sales story literally all I say to people is I've got more LinkedIn recommendations than any other recruiter in the world but that's a good sales story it's a pretty powerful one I've got more LinkedIn recommendations than, than any other recruiter in the world yeah full stop make that then they put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> I had one. I had one yesterday. Right, <laughs> so, oh, God, somebody's been so obnoxious to me on LinkedIn. I just like, just walked over to my putting mat, right, decision maker, hit a couple of putts. Yeah, I mean, what are, you gonna, <laughs> well, what are they going to do? Like, like Jacob Spencer used to say, what are they going to do? Punch you down the phone. That was a Chris Scott thing. Was it Scotty that? We're not getting shot at in our mar, are we? Oh, these people that are just rude but to he, you. But bring back Chris Scott. Bring back Chris bloody Scott. Completely agree. A former Royal Marine who'd been shot at in Northern Ireland, who used to sit there cold calling relentlessly, 100 plus calls a day, 25 decision makers a day off a handwritten list. And he'd go, well, you know, I'm sat here with my cup of tea in this nice office. We're not being shot at in our mar, are we? And he was absolutely bang And right. he was absolutely right. And he'd say, what's there to complain about? I've been shot at. Well, you know, I, there's, a, there's a building site near where I live. And when, I mean, it's fine when it's sunny. But in the winter when it was raining, I was sat in my office, put, put my radiator on, <sighs> had a cup of tea. They were out there in the rain building. He, and, and this is the, I think this is the, he kind of, I actually wrote at the end of reading this book that I'm going to write a book on cold calling. I am. I'm going to write one. Maybe we'll co-write it, me and you. I'm going to swear a lot in it. 
and it's going to be a clarion call based on... Johnny, no one's going to read it or listen to you. They're just not. You know they're not. I, I think I'm just going to call the title. Just pick up the fucking phone. They're not going to do that, though, are they? <laughs> Let's go to chapter nine, because it says your phone is your friend. Your phone is your friend, though. I won't... The dreaded cold call. I won't even refer to it as a cold call anymore. The term causes such immediate negative and visceral reaction in most salespeople. Does it, though? Yeah. I think a lot of people hate the idea. Uh, really I, do. You know, I told you that fellow that rang me the other day and he was complaining about his job. Yeah, yeah. He gave me the whole, I'm an expensive resource to be banging the phone. Oh, yeah. Oh, shut up. What do you make of that? I'm an expensive... Pay me too much. You pay me too much. To try and win your business. I was polite about it. And I've been regretting having been polite about it. Do you know that? So, so I put this post about cold calling ages ago. You and pay the, and, me too and much. And this, this guy worked. This guy worked for a very big company, and um, his job was sort of to, to close big deals. But then he was pulling together lots of. So he worked for one of the big uh, consulting companies, and he was pulling together lots of different moving parts. And he was, you know, a bit of automation software, a bit of CR, all the different various bits. And I didn't reply to him and say, yeah, but you're not a salesperson. Actually, what you are is an executive organiser. Yeah. Because you work for a massive consulting company that that end user has got a 10-year contract with. They can't not it, use you. It's different. It's different. They can't not use you. And what's interesting is, you know, we place a lot of jobs on 80, 90, 100K. So I've got one at the minute. 100K, 200K base plus stock. A lot of money. It's cool, that. It's a really cool job as well. Um, the guy's a really nice guy. They're, they're, they're pre-seed A, so they've got seed, but they're pre-round pre A. He's a really nice, down-to-earth, middle-class man. He said, yeah, I know I'm paying 100k, Mike. I actually need someone to get business. So where did the leads come from? He went, where do you reckon? I don't know. So like 100k, right? What is that? That's eight grand a month. Eight, £2,000 a week. Are you paid too much to pick up the phone? 400, no. £400 a day. Are you pay or, or two hundred pounds for the morning? Alternatively, eight hundred pounds a day if you target. Yeah, um, eight hundred quid a day. Yeah, are you paid it's too football money? Are you paid too much to pick up the phone? No, you're paid to get a job done. Now, if you've got some magic formula, which means you don't need to pick up the phone, then good luck fair with enough. That. Yeah, amazing, amazing. If you if you don't have to pick up the blower, all power to you. Yeah, and I'm not knocking it, but you've got to be able to demonstrate to somebody that you've got a method that beats that. And you're going to get loads of people going, well, I work in the public sector. And and sort of what I'm talking about with the phone isn't necessarily just saying, hello, my name is, but and what he isn't. It's about the resolution of problems. Resolution of problems. W within an account. Is, is your MO to reply on an email or is your MO to pick up the phone and go, right, you sent me this email, can we talk about it? Just the hustle. Yeah, it's not all, hello, well, my name We is. see a lot on LinkedIn of this sort of anti-hustle culture. It's disingenuous, Johnny. I hate that. Yeah, but the clients should should make their own decision to buy your solution. But th this whole culture of oh, sort of saying it, you know, like this whole there 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 are influencers on LinkedIn that go on about I get up at five a.m. and I'm in the gym at five. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm just gonna have my avocado on toast. Yeah, but maybe they are in the gym at five o five, and maybe they are eating avocado on toast, and maybe actually some of those guys are real winners. Maybe. Maybe they're the same people that were up at 5am, that were on the bike at 5.15, that Quite were uh, on their phone at 7.30 and are going to be guys that drive Lamborghinis because actually maybe, just maybe, 
having that kind of hustle and that preparedness to do what others aren't, maybe actually that's kind of winning shit. Let's talk about voice and tone. What about what about canvas in this chapter? So your voice, tone, and approach matters too. I think it's massively important that. Yes, but I'm I, lucky that I sound very boring when I speak to people. I, I wrote here, this is great, but people won't change that much. And you can't coach that. He says, the problem with most salespeople and phone is simple. They sound like salespeople. I don't think you can coach that out of people. Definitely can. Well, it can you, only come with experience and accomplishment. You reckon? Surely it depends on the person. I think that we all have a certain element of hardwired DNA in us around which you can and can't change a person. So like I have a golf swing that comes over the top, right? Right. And now I practice three times a week and I work so hard to but stop that. But you're still slicing it? No, I'm not. But under pressure, actually, out will come a little slice. Because you're swinging over the top. And I can, I can control it. And what I've learned is... I will fight that part of my mental, physical DNA as a golfer for the rest of my golfing life. Do you know I will fight wants? it every time I pick up a club. Do you know what somebody told me to cure that? And it's what, what I did actually. And then I'd draw the ball. He said, imagine you're really fat and you're just swinging around your guts. <laughs> it's great. That's but, but I'll fight it. But it's in my DNA. It's hardwired in my nervous system to come over the top. I've sorted it out and I'm getting much better at golf. But I'll always default. Under pressure. So what you're saying, people will always default under pressure to their cheery, happy voice. If you're a cheery, happy, weak-minded salesperson, I can coach the living shit out of you, but if I put you in a call where you're under pressure, you'll turn into a cheeky, happy, cheery salesman again. Until you become an accomplished, experienced salesman to the point at which you're no longer a cheeky, happy, cheery salesman. So next question then is scripts. What are you saying, scripts? He says, see what he says. I uh, say yes, 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 yes. I agree. Not not to be recited verbatim, but to be there as a, as a playbook. I'm currently in the process, Mike, of rebuilding the Inward Revenue script book. I have a Notion document but in Notion. Riveting. No, I just do it. Every time I get an objection, now... Because I, I I, you know my theory, but we've talked a lot about the concept of me and you spending all our time winning clients. Selling stuff. Yeah. that's a, in, And it sounds nuts, but that's the dream for me right now. Yeah, I get it. Um, and the more I'm, the more deeper I'm getting into really being in the rhythm of, of enjoying being a salesman again, the more I realise, oh, fuck, I just got nailed there. Shit. <laughs> Phone's down and I lost. Oh, dear. But now what I'm doing is I'm thinking, what did he say? Right. He's already got two recruits that he works with and he's really happy. Next time somebody says that to me, what am I going to say? I completely agree with you. I think you're 100% right. And, you're and, I've, and I've got a notion. I've got now a notion document with every time somebody write, gives me an objection where I think, JG, you got nailed. I just write it down and then I write a little script. I've actually been using Notion AI, chat GPT, to write me two or three other ones after two. Nice. Which are really good. And do I recite them verbatim? No. But they just give me that inner framework that if it came, I'd go, do you know what? I've got the same rejection. Bang, right, let's go. I'm going to have a go well, with the, it now. I mean, I agree with you completely. The other part of a script is, so we were talking before we started this about the um, Michael Jordan film, Air. 
you've got you've mentioned it four times this oh, morning. Oh, it's amazing. So Go I've on. got to what is it on Netflix? Uh, Amazon Prime. Right. I, I, you've mentioned it four times. So it's for brilliant. you to mention a piece of culture, Pricey, that much. It's one of the best sales films I've ever seen. You, the last time you mentioned a piece of culture that much was Ted Lasso. Oh, that's cool. Have you started watching it? I'm all over it. Brilliant, I'm all isn't it? over Ted Lasso. Um, but but anyway, so going back to for it, you so, to mention it, it must be good. So, so, so like part of it, Matt Damon's making a speech in a boardroom. Right. That's actually a script that someone wrote for him. Yeah. But do you know what? He knows the script so well, you don't know it's a script. Correct. The other great scene of that is there's a scene in Goodfellas. Have you seen Goodfellas? Don't it's one of the greatest so. moments in cinema history where the now late great Ray Liotta uh, has this embarrassing moment with Joe Pesci where Joe Pesci says, are you laughing at me like I'm a joke to you? <laughs> no, I'm not saying I've people uh, that talk uh, about that uh, a lot. And, um, and then, and then the, the whole table goes quiet and it gets really intense. And what nobody knows is that wasn't scripted. Right, cool. All it said in the script was they have dinner and banter and a few other cues. And they just picked it up on the... And these seven actors have sat and done this absolutely seminal moment in cinema history. This moment where when you first saw it in the cinema, you were squirming in your chair. But they had a little framework for it. They didn't just sit there and go, well, let's make up a scene. That's cool. Like and that. it's the same with your sales script. What do you think about this next bit? Stop overqualifying. So I have a client um, who employ uh, BDRs, appointment bookers, what call whatever you want. <clears throat> and I say, uh, and, and the um, salespeople get paid on appointment. By the way, the um, BDRs earn 200 grand a year. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive supply chain. But company. why shouldn't BDRs earn two hundred thousand pounds? Well, a year? average order value is three million, yeah. and um, so quite rightly they do. And um, so I said, "How do you qualify the the appointments you know, to pay out?" He said, "We don't." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "If we can get in front of a C level exec within one of our prospects, the only reason they're seeing us is because they have a level of interest." And I thought, "That's a ah, now that's comment. a really interesting one because what they're meeting though are people." whose time is so valuable that, yes, they probably wouldn't meet you unless Correct. they had a conversation. So, so here's another one for you, Johnny. So let's say... But what if you're selling something to mid-level shit suckers? <laughs> you should phone us and change jobs. You've got a good track record. Yes, yeah, but what if you are? What if your job's selling to fourth in command in an IT department of six? Everything's relative. If you're selling to fourth in command... Uh, Where actually... Everything's They'll relevant. take appointments with anyone. Then you need to qualify it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But if you if you think about that, those salespeople are going to be on 35, 40k. So the time's not that important anyway, so they may as well go see him. And it comes back to the point I made earlier about video calls. It's easy to do five video calls a day now. So let's if you had to get in your car. So, let, so let me give, so let me give you an example, right? So let's say today, Content Square have just had six hundred million in Series C. Is this hypothetical or are hypothetical, you telling me? Hypothetical. Right. Well, there's some truth in it because they've got 600 million Series C. But um, So let's say they've got 600 million in Series C. It's announced today. On Monday, I said, listen, Johnny, I'm really poorly, but I've got this appointment. It's with the new MD of Content Square. Would you go to London for me? Of course I would. Would you ask me about whether they've got any headcount? No. But you'd put me in front of a pretty decision, senior decision maker. I'd think it's my problem to go and excite and inspire someone new. And that's sort of his point here. At the right level, and then Get he goes... Your, well, he's saying, get in your car. 
get on. He's saying get on an aeroplane. Exactly. And then he says on page 114, there is no rule forcing you to have the full conversation on your first attempt. And I mean, I agree with that. So let's take this Content Square example. So you go to Content Square, and because uh, I ask you to go, because I'm poorly on Monday, and, uh, and I speak to you Monday afternoon, I go, how's it go, Johnny? Have they got any headcount? You, uh, you go, they've got no headcount, Mike. I'd go, have you wasted your time? You'd go, no. Because I just met the new MD of Content Square, I've got 600 million Series C. Anything I ace. I'd go if they didn't have headcount. You'd go if they didn't have headcount. You know you would. Yeah, I would, yeah. And that's his point. It would be an invest... I would I would make the investment. So like Gillian sells to NHS Trust or whatever they Yeah, I'd make now. the investment. So would Gillian go and see, I don't know what they're called, but the chief exec of an NHS Trust in Brighton at four o'clock today, even though it's Gillian, uh, Isabel's birthday, four o'clock Who today. Who sits over a huge budget. Uh, would she go, oh, unless you got any budget, she'd just go. You'd just yeah, go. You would. Even though it's in Brighton, it's four o'clock on a Friday. You'd, you'd just go, go. I don't care, I'm it's going. Your, so what you're saying is, and I think this is a very valid point, and I think what Mike Weinberg's saying in the book is, that actually some appointments are an investment. Yeah. They're long-term investment appointments. Because you know that guy at Content Square that I've made up? <laughs> when, it, when he puts the purple circle around his name Hiring. in three months' time... You'll be glad you met him on well, Monday. Well, he won't need to, will he? Because he's met me. But you'll be glad you met him on Monday. Yeah. Because you're miles ahead of everybody else. Well, that's the other point he talks about earlier on in the book. Yes. Is about being ahead of your competition by being on top of your account. And another point here. You're not a telemarketer or unnecessary disturbance. You're an important business person who heads up a part of your company. And he was talking a little bit here about, in the, in the statement... What about, page are you on? Uh, 115. I'm on 114, sorry. That's fine. But anyway, he was talking about this, the importance, and I'm completely paraphrasing him here a little bit, but the importance of your intro introduction using your title. That's I a very, like that. I hate that. There's a couple of things I absolutely hated on these two pages. Go on then. So the first one was he starts off with, let me steal a minute is an easy phrase that I oh, prefer to God. use to kickstart the call. I hate that. I know you There do. is no way on earth I would ever Say to a prospect, let me steal a minute. You just start talking. You take the minute. Correct. I never ask for permission to speak. I, I, never, ever ask for permission Although to speak. Although, somebody we both know, yeah, who I've played a bit of golf with, is a gazillionaire. Yeah, does he ask for permission? Can you spare me 15 seconds? Well, that's the whole meant to be a pattern interrupt, isn't it? Because they can't really say, no, I haven't got 15 seconds. But he says it, yeah. Interesting. That's an is, interesting approach. Because his point they is, can't say they can't no. say no. I haven't got fifteen seconds. And he's got, and he says he's got a pitch that he can spew out in fifteen seconds. Right, fair play. Whereas yeah. I just go, I, I just start. Oh, I do. If they don't want to give me permission, they'll tell me. Oh, they'll stop you, won't they? No, but, but maybe that's because actually the people we sell to are sales leaders. I think that does make a huge difference. Yeah, where a huge difference. So they're a little bit easier to work with. Um, but I, I did, I absolutely oh, I, I, I agree with you. I didn't and then the that. other thing he goes, there's another one here. Hi Fred, it's Mike Weinberg getting back to you. I'm the guy who caught you late on Tuesday trying to run out to FedEx. Pause. Let him thank you. I would never say that. Hi, I'm ringing to remind you that you already fucked me off last week. <laughs> I'm ringing to remind you that you already got me off the phone rather hastily last week. Want to do it again? Why would you do that? I mean, I'm with you 100%. 
Why would you remind him that you were in a hurry, stressed out? Why would you take him back to that emotional point? Here I, we are. I don't so get that. On page 134, he goes, the phases of a winning sales call. Okay. I wasn't keen on this. Where's this page? 134. Oh, we've skipped on. Oh, we can go back if you want, but... What have we got? The phases of a winning sales call. Build rapport. We I... talked about winning with voicemail. We don't like it, do we? No. The... Yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Can we go back to page 125? Yeah, 100%. Call planning. It's an interesting so I did a poll one. yesterday on the LinkedIn... It's mad LinkedIn, because I didn't see that. Did you not see my poll? It's just crazy LinkedIn. The algorithm LinkedIn's crazy. It's a bit messed up at the moment. I think they're struggling with it. No, I didn't see it. I think they're struggling to create a platform that we all want to be on. Anyway, go back to your poll. Uh, so my poll was, how much time do you spend preparing for calls? Right. Do you spend no time? Oh, it, I did comment on that. Do you spend 10 minutes? What was interesting was, some people spend hours... I think 53% of people spend less than an hour. Now, actually, it was a bad piece of statistical research. And a market researcher would say, it can't stand because nobody's ever going to say I don't do any prep in a public forum. Well, in, in an anonymous poll, I suspect. They it's might not do. anonymous, though. You, you can always see who voted. Can you? Yeah. I never knew that. They're not anonymous polls. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, so uh, I often use the poll information as canvas material, actually. Who knew? Yeah, I, I, I often use my poll information as canvas. So if I'm taking them in a certain direction with the poll, and that I look at it, I think, oh, you're a decision maker in a company, I'll put you on my list. Ah, uh, fair enough. So, so, um, the, so anyway, the prep. What I think is really interesting is, it, and it comes back to the point I made earlier in the recording, which is, if tomorrow... If on Monday you had to drive to St. Austell to see a client and it's eight hours drive to St. Austell and back in it, 16 100%. hours in the car, I think you'd prep that meeting well. I, 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 your point you made earlier was fair. I hadn't thought about it. I liked it. I agree. You've got to prep, haven't you? Yeah. And I think that's the point he's is saying is mentally... Not many people are planning their sales calls anymore. I remember I was. it got me thinking about a time when I did my first sales job at Parcel Force and sitting. He also points out that not many sales leaders get in the car and go to appointments with salespeople anymore because they don't, because they're all on video calls. It's a bit unobtrusive to, it's a bit obtrusive to turn up in a video call. Mm -mm. And just culturally, how many sales, I'd, I might do a little poll on that today. How many sales leaders actually show up at meetings with, with their salespeople? and coach their salespeople and do a meeting before the meeting that says, right, what are we going to do? So I, I, it brought me back to a memory of sitting in a Ford Mondeo in, on some industrial park. Sounds very glamorous. In the mid-90s with a manager saying to me, that pallet over there, Johnny, are we moving that pallet? And me going, flicking through my, my pad, no, we're not doing any pallet traffic. Somebody's doing pallet traffic here, Johnny. Hmm. With my Pink Floyd tie and my Homer Simpson socks <laughs> and my long hair. And, and me going, hmm, somebody is doing pallet traffic here, isn't there? He went, yeah. And he went, let's just wait here another 10 minutes. We're very early. Let's just see what happens. 
10 more pallets come out. 10 pallets, all ready to go on a wagon. So that's 10 pallets today. Where are they going, Johnny? Where are those pallets going? He sounds good, this guy. Great. So what's your objective for this call now, Johnny? And me has sat there with a list of objectives. When he says that, what are you going to say, Johnny? Fair play. Yeah. I think that, and Mike Weinberg's point is, that is a horribly lost art. We don't need to do it. Don't need to do it, do they? No, nah, because we've got SaaS software on a 30-day free we've trial. We've got SaaS software on a 30-day free trial. And on top of that, we, we can go on show me what my client's IT estate looks like. And on top of that, the IT market's so hot, no one needs to care. But that's a l that mentally, and it comes back to the point we made at the start of the meeting and the point Mike Weinberg's making in the book and the reason why so many of our clients, senior level clients, love this book so much. Think about it. Who's, who are the people who have recommended this book to us? They're all really top senior level clients it's not candidates that recommend this book. It's top sales leaders that love this book. Mm, that's a very fair point. Yeah, I agree. Why? Because they know, they read this book and they go, this is the lost art. Yeah. The, lo the lost art of standing in reception and watching what's going on. Fair what's point. What's going on here? Chapter 10, mentally preparing for the face-to-face -face sales call. Which is where we've just talked about, well, he's not talking about physical preparation. No, he's, he's about not. about mental preparation. Well, in fairness, we've covered that. So let's just move on. Yeah. Uh, 141. Asking probing questions. What's the best framework to ask probing questions? Spin. 100%. So exactly what Still I the best. Um, I've written out a few little bits here. I'm conscious that we're actually 70 minutes in. Are we? Chapter 12. Preventing the buyer's reflex resistance to salespeople. Buyers resist salespeople. Everyone does it. Do you know, it's interesting. He makes a good point. He talks about walking, walking to a sofa shop or something. I, I like selling and I like salespeople. It's what my living is. The thing that really puts me off salespeople that sell to me, you know, as a consumer, is just their initial opening all the time. That moment. That moment of, you know, so I've recently bought a new car. You walk in the garage and it's, hi, how are you? Who trains these guys? Well, no one. Who trains them? No one. As opposed to, hi, okay, yeah. Um, listen, I'd love to sell you a car today. If you want to talk to me about anything, I'm over there. Yeah. Have a look around. What kind, Got, of car, what kind of car are you looking for? I'll point you in the right direction. Yeah. I want a four-door estate. Right. They're all over there. Just the, the, but I it's deal a, with them. So a lot of that's about confidence and a certainty, isn't it? And your, ex, and your expectation, you have a pre-expectation of how the salesman should be as well. Because I spend my life dealing with sales guys that are under yeah. grand a year. And then up comes a guy on a no basic commission-only car salesman or whatever they earn. Yeah, that's very true. And you're a bit like, oh, gosh. <laughs> you're not like the chaps I deal with at work who are earning £200,000 a year and then you're sat there oh crikey I'm not buying a sofa off you what? give the guy a break he's it's, a sofa salesman it's a fair point Johnny I'll be, I'll be more uh, I'll be more fair um, he talks a little bit about preventing so 157 preventing and minimising the buyer's resistance and our beliefs I thought some nice points in here go on what have you got? I just liked his points really our beliefs our sound. What we believe about our job and role as salesperson. Yeah. How we sound. Yeah. Our view of the prospect. I think our view of the prospect is very interesting. I've got, uh, so I've got a, a client I'm dealing with at the minute where I just think the client's a bit of an idiot. Like, they just say stupid things. <laughs> and I, I, 
And you've asked me before, you say, why aren't you dealing with that? It's paying a lot, it's paying 120. You just think the client's an idiot. Uh, yeah, and I, I haven't said it in our meetings because it hadn't occurred to me, but I, it did occur to me when I was reading this thinking, I know I am not dealing on that because I think client's an idiot. I think we should bin those prospects, really. You know what you look at and think, you're an idiot. It's a t- uh, well, in our game, remember, we, we work no win, no fee, and we have to throw time and materials at, at clients. And I, I think if... If the moment you're sat there thinking, I'm not having fun, why would you spend well, the company's well, well, money Well, to be it? specific, my problem is, this guy, I don't think he's particularly good, and he's paid 120 base, 250 OTE. Well, he's buying his way through a recruiting Yeah, but problem. he's going to interview some pretty good people. Do you want a 120k base? You're a pretty so, good person. Listen, somebody will get a big fat fee there. Well, it's not going to be me. No. Chapter 13. Was I, I thought I was supposed to make a presentation. Do you make presentations with you? So let's say... Going back to our theoretical story, you're going on Monday to see the new MD of Content Square. I've given you a hospital pass because I'm poorly. You don't know anything about it. Would you take a presentation with you? I'd have one in my laptop that would stay in my bag. But my preparation before the meeting would be such that if I was called upon and required to make a presentation, I would have an absolutely blinding one. But you would, but you're you wouldn't be sat on the train thinking, right? First thing I've got to do is get my laptop open so I can do a presentation. No, it's like a three iron, isn't it? No one's going to use it, but you want to have it in your bag. I used to have a two iron. You know. <laughs> I used to be able to. Well, as the great Lee Trevino, as the great Lee Trevino said, in a thunderstorm, just hold your one iron in the air. Not even God can hit a one iron. <laughs> <laughs> Good golf joke. <laughs> yeah. Good golf joke. I like that. Uh, he talks here I can't think why I've underlined it now but um, he goes but, but do you know what I mean that's what I would do would I make a presentation the answer is no but I would have one I don't but I'd it. have all sorts of other things too because I'd sit on the train on my way down to London thinking if pri- and, th- and this would be out of respect for you oh, I'd think so. if Price has booked this appointment this has got to be half decent this it's partly out of respect for me but partly you're hoping got to be half decent this I think it's got to be half decent this so I'm going to make sure I'm prepared there would be nothing I wouldn't know about that meeting by the time I arrived I'd have a PowerPoint ready in case he asked me to present something to somebody with generic slides that I could quickly tailor I would be absolutely set my meeting prep would be world class if I hear when something doesn't feel right that's because it's not right too right very interesting I remember years ago you were telling me that you went to meet a man who didn't have any shoes on yeah we didn't make any money out of that client. Nope. Nope. I should have walked out of that meeting in seconds. Sorry, going home. Bye. But you knew, didn't you? But that's part of the problem of, of driving somewhere. As you've been saying previously, you're absolutely right. You've driven there. But, but it's also part of the advantage of driving somewhere. Yeah. Part of the advantage of driving somewhere is you walk into the office and you go, hmm, eight-year-old PC on the receptionist desk. Hmm. Tired looking office, 2016 ISO certificate. Uh, I know it's crass, but you turn up and go, load of, load of rubbish cars outside. So, yeah, cars in the car park. Office is dirty. Cars in the car park are a bit shit. Office is dirty. Yeah. My cup of coffee's garbage. Coffee comes in a shit cup. And it's and, and it's, this is making me sound like an absolute arsehole. But you're learning things about the... Top, about, top, top companies don't do that. I want you're, to, learning, you're just learning things about your client site. You're not making judgments, you're just learning. You know, I went, I, so you're you hearing explain. people in the corridor, you walk up the stairs, there's two people bitching about the boss on the step. You're learning things. You 
getting in your car, you learn. You do. You do, I agree. And you don't get that in a video call anymore. Everybody on a video call is, hi, hi. Oh, look, here comes my cat. <laughs> Funny. So chapter uh, 14, planning and executing the attack. I like page 186. The maths work, work the math. Correct. The most top-forming salespeople are the most active salespeople, particularly when it comes to developing new business. Of course they are. I think that we got into this thing of doing the 30, 60, 90, and it became very boring and we don't do it anymore. What, in interviews? Yeah. very. It's a while since I've had a client ask for one, Yeah, actually. it's very old-fashioned, isn't it? It's a while since I've but had a client ask for one. But do you know what? I once placed a guy um, who is now like Mr. Massive at a massive company. And I can remember him doing a 30, 60, 90. He'd been asked to do a 30, 60, 90. He didn't do it. What he did was he turned up with a one-page presentation that was just black and white. There was no background or anything. And what it had was number of prospects, how many he thought he could get through to in calls. In a day. How many of those calls he'd convert. Into decision makers. And it went all the way down to... Um, Sales. And the guy I placed him with was an excellent guy who, you again, you know. And he went, literally, Mike... I just looked, you know, you can see a preview of the presentation. He said, I saw a preview of the presentation. Oh my God, this is terrible. He said, I looked at the one slide and immediately thought, right, I'm going to hire you. Well, it's a mindset thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think he says it somewhere in here. Was it? I read it. Mindset trumps outcome. Yes, probably. And it's a bit like the, so when I get into a brief with a client, I go, what's target? They go, it's a million pounds. I go, What's your order value? They'll go 200 grand. they go, brilliant. Okay, how many prospects do you need to get to get a close? They'll go, ah, I think, right, rubbish client. Yeah. Because top clients know that. You know, yeah. if Gaz was here at A&S, I'd tell you now, he wouldn't know his conversion rate. What, how many deals are in the how many deals are in the company's pipeline? How many of those will close? He'd say, yeah, 25% of them They just close. know the answer. Or whatever the answer is. Justin Mull, one of the best people I've ever dealt with. Justin, I still love you. You never a, call a, me back. An average deal value, he would say, yep, yep, yep. There's enough deals in the pipeline to make money. Correct. Because they think about the, the basics. Works. The maths does work. He's right to say it. And it's yep. old-fashioned and people won't like it. Uh, writing your individual business plan. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote this. this uh, uh, I read these final couple of pages early this morning. Absolutely agree. 100%. As a sale, yeah. I was thinking... It, As it a made, person. It made me think again... As a person. ...about that guy who rang me complaining about his new job the other day. Right. That was the person I thought of when I wrote it. And I felt like picking up the phone there and then and saying... If I ask you where your business plan is for that job, yeah, well, anyway. where is it? You're moaning, they haven't got this and they haven't got that and you're whinging and you're whining. And fair enough, if the job's not right. But if I ask you, where's your plan to make a million and a half pounds worth of revenue for them next year? Where's your plan? Have you written it down? How many calls do you need to make? How many prospects do you need? What do you need from them? Have you written it down? And submitted it to them and said, this is my plan. Help me execute. Completely agree. So, and he, and, and I think, again, it's part of that. I think that what we, this actually should be called the lost arts. Well, let's do a summary in a minute. I've got two more points I'd like to okay. raise with you. One is, uh, your appearance and image send a message. Mm. I think that's very difficult now. Oh, it's so tough. I think it's very difficult. I think there's a real difference between men and women. I think women have got a much harder task than men. Right. 100%, 100% do. Um, and I think it's also, you know, we're, you know, our industry, 
I, I think I, I I would go and see a client dressed like this, and I do. Yeah, well, I I've got, I've, I'm not wearing my inward garb today. Well, you, but you'll would... see if you look at the back. I bought some more branded gear, actually. Right, and I'm go and I think it's absolutely right in the money. I think it's a bit harder for our clients, actually. Um, so, like in healthcare, what do they wear in healthcare versus what do they wear in finance? What image do you want to portray? Um, so, like, you know, we could go and see, I've got a nice watch. I could go and see my client with a what? Yeah, they're fine with that. But if I worked in healthcare, would I wear this watch? What what image does it send? So, I think actually getting that right is very difficult. It's the video call thing now. Everybody's on video calls. People are seldom doing that much face-to-face. -face. You know, how often do you speak to somebody on the phone and they go, I'm on the road today? Oh, rare. Very I'm, rare. I'm on that. the road today? Really? Yeah. I went to see some customers Very and rare. they sound giddy. Do you people think, aren't that, doing do you think it. that people not... dress scruffily because they're at home? Or do you think they're just differently at home to how they would if they met somebody face-to-face? -face? I think I, they do. I, I, well... It comes back to the point we made at the start of the call about how frustrated our customers seem with the quality of people that are available to them and the quality of people they feel they need. And I think that the pandemic was brilliant for the industry. As we said earlier, it was a Y2K demand creation moment. And in that Y2K demand creation moment, a lot of people have made plenty of hay. Some people haven't, but most people have. And in making that hay, the job got a little bit easier for some people. And in doing so, standards have dropped. I mean, I agree with you. It's interesting. So there's a guy, Touchwood. So, you know, I'm, uh, so there was a time on, when you and I first came into our sales careers. I remember once somebody getting sent home for having shoes that looked like, quote unquote, he looked like he's played fucking Wally in the playground at lunchtime. When Inward Revenue started, I bought new suits, new ties, yep. new cufflinks. Yep. I ain't got many more. I remember them sending somebody home because he looked like he'd played Wally in the playground. That's because that was a cult, though. It was a cult, and that was a cult statement of, yeah, yeah. you can't be one of us if you haven't polished your shoes like you're in the army. Yes. But it, was a stand it wasn't about that, it was about a standard Yes, the general standard of that operation was very high. It was about having a personal standard of, I've polished my shoes, I've had a shave, I've done this, I've done that. Da, 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 da. It's not trucker hats and cameras pointing up your nose, is it? Completely. And then one last point, he talks about blocking out your diary when you're on holiday. Oh. So, interestingly, I've had two holidays this year. Johnny, Johnny three holidays. Um, more holidays this year than I've ever had in my whole life. Um, but I had a holiday... A, f a little five-day break with Mrs. G in March, late March. You had, yeah. you had, two, you had two like, a, in, like a week apart. They really hurt me those two holidays from a mental perspective. But what was really interesting was on both of those holidays, I didn't hand over to you. I wonder why? Because you could have done. Because I just felt like I was taking too much time off, and I didn't hand over to you. And do you know what? I feel tired now. Now that's partially because I'm a bit off my game, a bit off colour. But actually, you and I have always hand, always turned our phones off on holiday. Yeah, exactly. Always turned our emails off. Always turned our phones off. Well, you know me, Johnny, I do... After 5.30 on Friday... You turn. You leave your phone in the office. You can't get hold of me. Nope. What if it was the new chief exec of uh, Content Square? Don't care. Don't care. Don't care. Sat with my fam now. Yeah. So overall, the book then, Johnny. Well... I think you made a great point that I hadn't thought about. Why do sales leaders love this book? 
because they look at it and go, it's the old school. Quite whether the salespeople are going to love this book as much mm. is a different. Yeah, all the people who've recommend, I, I uh, all the people who recommended we read this book are all senior sales leaders over forty five. Yeah, and there's in it that's a thread. Sorry, that, guys, I don't know if you're over forty five. It might be younger. It might be forty three. But it's they're, they're people that came from a different era. Yes, they are. And that era had a different set of standards as to what defined good quality salesmanship. Yes, and that era was was in an era where actually the only thing that you could really use was your phone. Yeah. That was all you, you know. And the waters are a bit muddier now, aren't they? Yeah. We give it out of 10. Tough one, this. I'd give it as a book. It, I don't feel like I'm a better salesman for it. I've got a couple of things out of it, notably that sort of write your, write your little... Write your, yeah, write your story. Write your story. Uh, that's it. That's all I've got out of it, really. I, I'd give it, as a book, a six. Oh, poor Mike Weinberg. I tell you, I'm going to say... I'm, it's a little bit dated. I'm going to give it much higher than that. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. And much of that is because you can't disagree with what's in the book. No, you can't disagree with any of it, really. It's not like some of the other books we've read where I'm going, yeah, rubbish, rubbish, it could rubbish, do rubbish, with rubbish, a, rubbish. It could do with a rewrite. Um, yeah, I agree. It could do with a new edition. But you know, like, so like Gaz, he, he, he used to make, well, I think make or suggest, I don't know, but either way, that the new people at ANS should read that book and follow it. Oh, really? That, that's not a bad framework, that. No. If you did everything in this book, you'd do but all that's right. That's actually an interesting cultural statement for ANS. Yeah. That says, we appreciate and respect people who are prepared to pick up the phone and find an appointment. Coachability is one of their core values that they're high towards, yeah. So I think if you as a salesperson did everything in this book, you'd do all right. Yeah. If you, oh God, yeah. You'd do all if right. If you worked you? the, yes. If you actually picked that book up, if you, if you were struggling, if you're having a bad day and you said, right, Show me the way. I'm going to start again. That's not bad. No. That's as good as out there, really, I think. Yeah, you'd do all right, I think. You'd do all right. So it gets a it gets an eight from you, six from me. Uh, eight and a half from me. Eight, eight and a half, so it gets a, an overall inward revenue consulting. Come on, Johnny Maths, man. Seven point something. <laughs> 6.75, I reckon. Do you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, and at that, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Book Club. Goodbye. <laughs>